All right, we are ready to get started again, and we're beginning uh, this episode with the 26th chapter in Numbers. And before we get going, there's a couple of things that I wanted to mention and um, things that that Elizabeth and Sherry and I have been talking about um, uh, before we even started recording, and that is the idea of, as we're going through... Um, especially very familiar books. And I, th- I do think Numbers is that in the sense of the stories that we read through there. Oh, yeah, we, we've read this before. We've taught this as kids, you know, that kind of thing. And and just especially this uh, section that we're about to go through for me was very exciting in the sense that it, it it can seem like it's one that for years I have, you know, read through because uh, very quickly because we're going through the different tribes, the names, the numbers, you know, and it's easy to zip through um, sections like that. But this time through, I feel I, I have been able to take previous knowledge like the 12 tribes of uh, Jacob, you know, that we can all sing in our head and make sure we know them all. Um, but take the knowledge that I, I've had previously and build upon that. And there are so many, I mean, it seems like small connections, but they are, they're really great connections, um, new connections for me. Um, and Sherry was just um, sharing about her admonition to uh, younger preachers in particular. Um, and I'm going to let Sherry um, share that in her own words in just a second here, but, um, but I wanted to share uh, uh, the same, it's the same point, but a different perspective of it that, um, brother Bob Waldron, who is, um, I believe in his eighties now. And, um, anyway, has spent his lifetime learning the Bible and uh, has just done so much wonderful connecting of the dots um, in, in his own work and his work with people. Anyway, and whenever he studies with preachers, the thing that he says is, I have spent my lifetime getting to this point. Now, you continue on. You know, in other words, don't start all over again and just relearn basically what you've already been taught from a child. But add to that grow um and i and that's why to me these kind of studies are so helpful and so important um for myself but also for anybody else who is listening along studying for themselves and growing and learning on their own so um with that i also want to have sherry um share her comment as well because like this is coming from me a 40 year old um, who is looking at scripture and getting very excited about all the things I don't know, um, and, and continuing to learn. And that's, that's amazing to me. Um, and Sherry, who I won't share her age because I don't know, and it'd be rude for me to ask, but a little bit older, um, has this to say to younger preachers. Okay. So, um, when, when you're teaching a class or when you're giving a sermon, um, I think it's important for you to tell me something that I don't already know. Like, 
tell me some, give me a new piece of information. I realize we've had these scriptures for a long time and maybe there isn't much more to know than we already know, but I don't know everything about the scriptures and no one person actually does. And so um, talk to me about how, about how, like Summer was saying, the dots are connected. Tell, tell, tell me something, talk to me about a scripture in a way that I haven't thought of it before. Because there's so much, every time you read it, there's so much in it that you didn't think of the last time that you read it. And so don't um, just give me the standard um, answers that you got when you were in Bible class. Um, and don't give me the same talking points that we always use that are sort of like uh, quote unquote Church of Christ doctrine. Like mm -hmm. tell me something that I didn't that I didn't think of before. Yeah. And um, and you, I realize you have to be careful not to add things and not to take away things, but there's so much in there that there's always something you can tell me about the scriptures that is something that I hadn't thought of before. Yeah. If we are studying <clears throat> it like we need to be studying it. Right. And, you know, and I think that's, that is the, I think, sobering and helpful challenge that Sherry presents when she, you know, says that to especially the young preachers. It's not that, you know, it's not the looking for something new, but it's looking for more, you know, um, and because there is so much. It's there. just looking deeper yeah. into the Word. Right, absolutely. And um, and I am putting Elizabeth on the spot a little bit, but mm -hmm. she's a big girl and can handle it. So um, I am just curious from your perspective because I, I have, one of the things I appreciate about us getting together is our age, uh, is our range, is what I mean to say, of experiences um, from Elizabeth to me to Sherry and just the vast differences in seasons of life, you know, that are represented. And anyway, I am just curious for you, you know, going through this in this manner, how that how it's been helpful for you, how it's, if, if it has been challenging to you, that sort of thing, um, as far as you're coming to this, this group, you know, on a mostly weekly basis and, and how that looks for you. Right. So I think this generally has been a very good thing for me, but it steps on my toes sometimes because it makes me reflect and understand that, okay, I grew up in the church. I've been around this my entire life but there are some sections of numbers that I have not read until this read-through. So it makes me realize that up until this point, I probably haven't been studying the way I should, but it is also a very great encouragement to make sure that I do that. And so I really like uh, Sherry's admonition because if it's something Sherry doesn't know, it's definitely something that I don't know. <laughs> so I always appreciate learning something new, having some sort of different perspective, especially having those perspectives from y'all with more experience, more studying that I may not have gotten. So I know we've kind of talked about this before, but a lot of my observations feel very surface level because this is my first time going through a lot of this, but I think having everyone's kind of different layers of input has been very beneficial to me. Yeah. Well, I deeply appreciate it, and I'm glad that we're continuing on. I didn't 
want to take up too much time with that as sort of a different intro than what we um, typically do, but this section in particular, I, just, that just, <laughs> I think between reading through this and Wendell Berry, which if you don't know, that's like a whole another thing, a whole another conversation, is just, it is, it is calling out to me of, you know, just the depth that is uh is here and provided by the creator and um i'm just so thankful um for us to get together and kind of mine that together because i know all that i'm gleaning from this i glean i glean even more when we're together and like you're saying and 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 that's the thing elizabeth is that i feel like you come to it you know you say surface but you i, I appreciate the things that you you do bring out because many times i think you are working very hard to find the connections um and and there are so many times i think you do you find extra connections that you know sherry and i sometimes don't add in there and um and that is so helpful because like sherry was saying there's no way one person can get it all mm -hmm. uh covered or understand it all or all that so um a, another reason that uh uh, deeply believe that God has um, has created the church family for those purposes of hey you, you've got to have more than just yourself uh, to put all those pieces together so anyway um, enough time on that just real quick um, before we get started uh, we are going to break down these chapters a little bit different um, we're going to take 26 26 and 27 individually and then we're gonna lump together 28 and 29, but that section just as a whole, um, were there any themes uh, that you guys picked up on um, that you wanted to bring out before we started jumping in one at a time? So Sherry, I'll start with you. 26, 27 you mean? Or? Oh, just the whole, 26 through 29 as a whole before we go in individually, so. Um, well, uh, without going through and reading all the names in the census, um, the census is, um, I think, important mm -hmm. um, at this juncture because we're coming to the end of the wilderness wanderings, and so um, we have a census at the beginning, and then we have a census at the end, and they're they're different, mm -hmm. and that's because a whole generation of people died, and so there's that. There's 40 years of people dying, and new people being born and these people aren't the same people that were there before. So I think that's really important. Um, and then um, I think that 28 and 29 are, are just reiterations of things that we've already talked about at 30 as well, I think, in the book of Leviticus. <coughs> Excuse me. And so I think they're additions to Leviticus, I think they're just reiteration of of the sacrifices that we've already been that, that we've already talked about, and maybe putting it in a little bit, organizing it a little differently than it was previously, mm -hmm. um, and just kind of reiterating it, like, okay, let's make sure we got this. Yeah. Um, uh, there's the exceptions would be like uh, chapter 27 that talks about daughters of Zelophehad mm -hmm. and how um, how that came to be that we had as in the law that you know if I, and we'll t talk about that but just how how men who don't have sons 
um, how their inheritance is passed down. And, and that comes from this, this incident, actually, that daughter Zipzalapha had coming to Moses and saying, hey, what do we do about this? Um, and so, yeah, those are, the, those are the things that really stand out about these sections to me. Okay, uh, Elizabeth, did you have anything in particular yes. from it as a whole? Yes, so I'm actually also excited to talk about the census, but mm -hmm. for different reasons than Sherry. Mm -hmm. I looked a little bit more at the numbers and the connections with the first census, and I'm really excited to get to talk about that. Um, but I do like that Sherry brought out that these are different people, like a completely different nation. Mm -hmm. So you would have to repeat all the offerings and give a little refresher because if you're about to go into land you want to do it right you want to make sure you have all your ducks in the row because i think that all this kind of repetition is a very good kind of concluding way to start tying things up yeah um and i'm going to use that as a transition to jump into 26 because um <clears throat> when we're walking through just the basic narrative of 26 um the first Thing that comes to my mind is, as you two have both pointed out, sort of a, um, a an, an ending bookend, so to speak, you know, because obviously when we started out, we began in, uh, I believe it was the Wilderness of Sinai, is that correct? Mm -hmm. um, where we got the opening uh, with Moses numbering the people, the census being taken, um, and like Sherry had pointed out, we back in chapter one, we had 603,550, um, and then um, we end up here with uh, a little bit less than that, um, 601,730. So, um, <clears throat> and as you, as you both were saying, this is a totally different group of people. Well, one of the things that jumps to my mind in this, in 26, the narrative that we walk through here is, um, is this is the idea of this being read aloud okay so you know you get to verse 5 Reuben was the firstborn of Israel and then we go through the Reubenites and we number them um, and then each uh, tribe that we go through there's you know naming of all the families and then the numbers and one of the interesting things about this to me is you were talking about the repetition and uh, reminders, and there are a couple of places in this chapter where there are reminders, um, where you've got in the Reubenites, the very first section, which is going to be verses 4 through 11, um, you've got the reminder here where Dathan and Abiram are mentioned. Mm -hmm. And he goes ahead and says, it was Dathan and Abiram who, as leaders of the community, rebelled against Moses and Aaron. Um, and then uh, specifies, now, they were totally wiped out. Korah's descendants were not. That was, you know, specified. Mm -hmm. but, but it is so interesting in this sort of list of names are the reminders. Oh, you remember those people? Remember what happened to those people? don't do that again because what happened to those you know it's mm -hmm. almost like we were talking about last time with Balaam they became a byword you know mm -hmm. you know Dathan and Abiram do not repeat um so that is mentioned in sort of this you know in this narrative of again just this is just a census reading you know of hey tucking in these little reminders 
The next one um, that I notice after we go through Simeon and we go through Gad, we get down to Judah, um, and it says the descendants, uh, this is verse 19, the descendants of Judah were Ur and Onan, but Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And again, we remember what, you know, that story way back in Genesis of Tamar having to go and have sons through her father-in-law because of, you know, the the two sons who died and um, Perez and Zerah who born um, the twins through Judah. And, and it, again, it's just that repetition and that, that coming back to remember your history, remember the stories, remember who you are as a people um, is so impressive to me. Um, and, you know, I, I mentioned in passing Wendell Berry, one of the things that he writes on so often is the importance of community and uh, and how that's set up and how that takes care of things. And, and I'm seeing that in Scripture where the stories are repeated and they're repeated and they're repeated, you know. And especially at this where I see this narrative not only wrapping up but priming the pump for we're about to go into the, the promised land like we need it's almost this is a really silly example but it almost reminds me of like as we're pulling in to the church parking lot and i look back to the kids and go remember what we were about to do you know <laughs> like like don't just get out crazy pants like there is a, a purpose in what we're about to do you know and um and i feel that sort of you know tenor here of you know going through all of these and we're numbering everyone up and also remember these people um, and so that that narrative continues and just for sake of time um, just kind of summarizing up as we go through the chapter we finish up the numbering um, in verse 51 that's where we see the 601,730 um, and then you know he goes through all of this is 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 written down, is read aloud, so that we understand where the lots are going to be divided based on the numbers, you know, as far as this many means this much land and so on, bigger and smaller. Um, and then after that, uh, then he goes into the Levites and their families and how they are not to inherit any land specifically. Um, and then the numberings of those, not from 20 years old, because these are not people who are going into war, um, but this is from a month old and upward. And the numbers to me were so shocking, and I'm going to let Elizabeth go into that more, but um, to see the Levites numbers compared to how many in each tribe, I just feel like, oh, that is such a minuscule amount compared to the 40,000, 60,000, 70,000, you know, and then the Levites total 23,000. So I, it, to me, I look at that and go, wow, they are spread thin for a lot of people. You know, it's just the impression I get when I see that. But um, again, Elizabeth, that's a surface, you know, <laughs> comment right there is just, oh, looks really small. Um, but then at the very end of this chapter, uh, verse 64, but there was not a man among these who, uh, these who had been among those numbered by Moses and Aaron the priests when they numbered the Israelites in the wilderness of Sinai. 
So to y'all's point earlier, just the reiteration of, um, and then, uh, sorry, it goes on to the exception, of course, of Caleb and Joshua, but just that reiteration of there's not a single soul walking into this land that was numbered in the beginning of this book with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. That's it. Everybody else is brand new. Um, and so that is just such an interesting thought for, you know, you think about generations that pass and there's only a few of them left, you know, and all my friends are dying kind of thought. Well, Caleb and Joshua were all they had. I mean, that is such a heavy weight uh, and they bore it so well in, in their carrying on the responsibility of we've got to help the next generation not repeat. So anyway, that's that that's uh, my thoughts on and, and trying to walk through rather quickly on the narrative. And Elizabeth, I'm going to start with you to give you time on those numbers and then share your thoughts on 26. So when I was getting ready for this, I had um, two Bibles and a calculator up <laughs> to look at how much each of the tribes um, differed in population from the beginning to the end. Mm -hmm. And when I was thinking about it very broadly, I was thinking, okay, you've got normal population growth of people having kids, but there's a bunch of plagues. Mm -hmm. And then you also have God saying, okay, everyone in this generation is going to die in the next 40 years. Mm -hmm. And then you have just the normal amount of people dying. So you kind of expect that this is going to be somewhat lower than the original figure. Um, but the way that was distributed was really interesting to me. So the camp of Reuben, which is Reuben, Simeon, and Gad, across the board, all three of those tribes decreased in population, like net from the first one. And specifically, Simeon decreased by 37,000 people, mm -hmm. which was just insane to me. And I couldn't think of any, like, one plague or anything that mm -hmm. had singled out the tribe of Simeon. Um, but nothing about the placement of their camp within the circle of the Israelites or what their jobs were. I don't really know why that would, they would all be decreased across the board. Then on the other hand, the camp of Judah with Issachar and Zebulun, they across the board increased in population, mm -hmm. which makes a little bit more sense to me since Judah is like the chosen kind of leader of all the tribes and that was the first camp to go out. Um, mm -hmm. So it makes more sense that they would prosper more than some of their brothers. And then the other two camps, so the rest, the six other tribes, those were kind of hit or miss on increasing or decreasing. But I think more tribes decreased than increased. Hold on, I can't count anymore. Nope. More, tri more tribes increased than decreased, but the ones that decreased, decreased so much hmm. that the overall population went down. Mm -hmm. I guess the last notable thing about the math was that the tribe of Manasseh increased by 20,000, hmm. um, just all by themselves, which I thought was really interesting because Ephraim was bigger at the beginning, mm -hmm. and then Manasseh was a lot bigger right. by the end, just seeing the kind mm -hmm. of imbalance between the sons of Joseph was mm -hmm. kind of uh, cool to me. Yeah. Um, and I had something going with this train of thought, and I lost it. <laughs> but just the the general numbers thing and the association with 
each camp I thought was was really interesting. And if y'all had an answer for why the camp of Reuben was the only one uniformly lost population, mm-hmm. I'd be interested in hearing that. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that comes to mind for me, but yeah, I can't think of anything um, offhand. I mean, you know, you could talk about Reuben's um, why he wasn't made the um, the um, why he lost the birthright, lost the, the head of the family status. But you know, then there's other people like Simeon and Levi who you know did similar treacherous things and mm-hmm. also lost their their status. But but so what? Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. You know, I don't know that that I don't. I don't it, it might. You know. It might have some, but th- there's no prophecy involving that, and there's no. So I don't know if it's just a random right. thing. Right. Um, yeah. Good question. Okay. Anything okay, else on twenty six, Sherry? Before we head to um, twenty five. Just um, the things that I noted about it were um, that okay, it's a second census. It is um, different people than the first census because uh, I mean there's the same tribes but um, but and there's uh, similarities in their in their lineage but the actual people are the actual people that are counted as men of war are completely different mm-hmm. um, and I think that it's worth noting that and um, because God said that's what's going to happen yeah. um, and um, you might think, well, they had 40 years. Why didn't they? Why why didn't they have like a massive increase, um, like they did over the 400 years that they were in slavery? Mm-hmm. Well, it's because God said most of them were going to die, mm-hmm. and so you know the replacement rate is just not that great, especially when you're going through the wilderness and right. um, and. You know, and it's 40 years. Yeah, it's 40 years as it was 400. But, right. but you would think there would be, you know, some, you know, measurable increase, but there really isn't because they're just waiting on a generation of people to die. Right. Um, <clears throat> also, they're in the wilderness, so, you know, there's that. Yeah. Um, uh, also, um, just the statement at the end of the chapter that... Um, he's, that, that God says, among these there was not one of those listed by Moses and Aaron the priest who had listed the people listed the people of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. For the Lord had said of them, they shall die in the wilderness. Not one of them was left, except Caleb, the son of Jephna, and Joshua, the son of Nun. So it actually even says that. There's, see this list? See this other list? Different people. Mm-hmm. Um, just like God said, that's what would happen. Um, also, just kind of a note, like um, we did one time a um, when I was living in Lincoln, and we were few in number. <clears throat> we did a character study on Caleb, mm-hmm. and um, there's not much said about Caleb in the Old Testament, but um, I would just encourage you to look up the passages that mention Caleb and sort of because uh, 
you know, the emphasis is on Joshua because Joshua is the leader. But just um, Caleb was a seriously awesome person. And um, he was also um, a, um, what's the word? Um, he was just an amazing man. And um, you can see why he and Joshua were the only ones who were left. Um, because even though he's he was over 20 years old, we don't know exactly how old, but he was over 20 years old when he, when, when they left Sinai. Um, and so he's got to be, he's 60 plus now. Mm -hmm. um, and he's still going strong, physically, spiritually, and he says so. He's like, give me my land, I'm taking it. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to drive these people out. God's going to help me, and we're going to drive the people out, and we're going to take over. Yeah. And uh, uh, he's one of the only people that is mentioned um, in the book of Joshua when they divide up the land that it's an actual that it's actually okay. Uh, this person was given this plot of land, not mm -hmm. this tribe or this family, but this person was specifically given this much land. Mm -hmm. um, and for good reason, because he is just, he's just amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and that continues sort of down, down the line, because in, into the book of Judges, he's also one of the sons that became the first judge. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, for what that's worth, those are the main things yeah. that I drew out of chapter 26. Okay, so in moving to 27, um, we're going into um, more of a look at Joshua, but before we get there, uh, it starts off with those daughters of Zelophehad. That's the best pronunciation I got for that. And um, but they were mentioned in the previous chapter, and I kind of breezed past that. But just a quick look back at that is uh, going to be in. Um, chapter 26 verses 33 mm -hmm. um, through 34 uh, it goes on and names off all the daughters because he had no sons um, and that's where we get into in chapter 27 it, they come before Moses and uh, basically plead their case and say that their father has died in the wilderness he has no sons, and their question in verse 4, why should the name of our father be lost from among his family because he had no sons? Give us possession among the relatives of our father. Mm -hmm. And then this next section, again, is one of those uh, connections for me where they walk through, here's the process that you go through um, if there is no uh, male relative. Um, you know, here's sort of the lineup or uh, let me back that, that up, if there's no male son, mm -hmm. uh, or descendant yeah. is the word I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then it goes, you know, either to, it, it can go to the daughters. If there's not daughters, well, then it needs to go to a brother and so on. And 
and the connections that you know making here is this obviously you know reminds us of what we read in Ruth you know where Boaz has the next of kin thing going and um, and this is where that originated mm -hmm. you know uh, is God saw here's a problem we need to write down in the law this is how this is taken care of mm -hmm. um, and so that is just it, it's it's such an interesting um, passage to me because of one the way the daughters handled themselves appropriately um, and brought hey here's a legitimate problem and you know how do we go through this because again to me it looks like we're they are wanting to honor their father and their father's name mm -hmm. um, so it's not a I don't know it's it's so lacking in modern forcing of uh, girl power mm -hmm. it's a we are trying to do what's right by our family mm -hmm. and um, and they do it in the right channels and then they are able to to have the land and be according to the law of Moses uh, given by God um, so I'm going to pause there in the narrative for any commentary on that section because I know there's a good bit there so anything that y'all pulled from that Elizabeth you have something in your mind yeah I uh, I thought this was really cool and I really liked your point that they're doing this in an appropriate way and not like selfishly or to like glorify or empower themselves but to honor their father and presumably also to honor God and his plan like for their family um, and I think it's also very interesting how this also gives us an example of the women of Israel being protected if they don't have a father or a husband or a brother or someone some male figure to take care of them that God is still providing for them and taking care of them so um, I haven't heard this criticism as much, or it might not be as popular of a criticism as it used to be, but just like the Bible and Christianity being sexist and just putting women down. If God is the same throughout all time and he made these provisions for women in the past, why would anyone claim that the God of Christianity is any different mm -hmm. at this point in time? So I did also appreciate how you kind of contrasted this with like some modern feminist claiming power for yourself because that's definitely not what's going on here mm -hmm. right sherry anything from that section before we get the last part of that chapter? um no uh, uh the only thing uh i think it's interesting in verse three that they say our father died in the wilderness he was not among the company of those who gathered themselves together against the lord in the company of Korah but died for his own sin and he had no sons so they're saying okay he wasn't in the Korah's rebellion so so it's not like his inheritance is wiped out because of that he died for his own sins like everyone does right right <laughs> uh, yeah and and so because he had no sons then you know he should he should still get an inheritance right. uh, I think it's also really important that um, it, it shows, I think, um, it, like it goes on, on down the line. If there are no male heirs, the daughters can divide the inheritance. If there are no sons or daughters, then the inheritance goes to the deceased brothers. If there's no brothers, then his uncles. If there's no uncles, then to the next of kin. So this is important. 
this is important. This land is important to stay in the family that it's in. And so if there's no buddy in the family, it doesn't just go to the highest bidder. It goes to the next of kin. And there's going to be a next of kin somewhere. Right. So this is really important. And it was important to the Jews on down through. I mean, you see, uh, you know, in, in, uh, in the Kings, mm -hmm. where uh, Naboth doesn't want to give up the vineyard. Not because, you know, not because he's being rebellious, but because, no, like, this is my family inheritance. I can't, I can't give this to you. Right. If there's such a weight of responsibility read into these passages mm -hmm. that I do, that it, I feel like for us, it takes a great deal of work to get into a different mindset than our modern mindset, mm -hmm. because it would be so easy to just say, okay, it's land. What's go get different land? Mm -hmm. But as you were saying, using the word inheritance, which is in its own study, a very incredible one to see how God uses that word as not just like this is your reward, but this is this is your reward mixed in with ownership, responsibility, like way to glorify me, you know, and that is just, uh, again, it's something that uh, the, I feel like the more that we are able to submerge ourselves in scripture and get that kind of mental thinking um, and help distance ourselves from whatever the current cultural terms may be um, is so much help, more helpful because who who owns land for generations now? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's almost non-existent. I mean, I know there are people, but you know, it's like, oh yeah, my family, my distant family, they still have land, but it's so, I mean, it's just so far removed mm -hmm. from our um, minds is, is the importance and the weight and the honor mm -hmm. that comes with that being an inheritance from generation to generation. Anyway, um, there's Barry again, Wendell Barry came out. Okay. Um, verse verses twelve is where we pick up to finish out this and, and go through the end of the chapter here. Um, and Sherry has pointed out this out so many times where we've got uh, that transition sentence starting out. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Okay, go up to the uh, the mountain of Abiram range and see the land I've given to the Israelites." And this, oh man, I don't know how anybody can't get chills uh, reading these types of sections, but he says, when you have seen it, you will be gathered to your ancestors as Aaron, your brother, was gathered to his ancestors. And I, I mean, oh, I just cannot imagine being in Moses' shoes, hearing that from the Lord. And okay, your brother has already gone. You will be next. Um, and then he goes on to spell out why he is not going into the wilderness. You rebelled against my command to show me as holy uh, uh, to show me is holy before their eyes over the water, the water of Meribah in Kadesh, the wilderness of Zen. Um, and I love, I, I just, being that kind of chastisement and that reminder of where he fell short, but then his response after that is so moving to me. Um, it's in verse 16, let the Lord, the God of of the spirits of all humankind appoint a man over the community in other words and then he goes into the description of a shepherd 
who is going to care for these people. And I, I just, I just get choked up thinking about it of, you know, here, he is ready to go and be gathered to his ancestors and where is his mind not on the rest that he's about to receive, but okay, who, who will do this work when I'm gone? And, and I know we see this so commonly generationally as people grow older and their minds do start to go, well, who's, who's going to pick up the work? <coughs> and it's just, it is such a beautiful thing to see that in Moses. And after we've just come out of how many thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that have, quote, been under his authority, and who can take that on? And it just makes you so deeply appreciate the man who God says is ready to step in. Joshua, the son of Nun, and um, N-U-N, that he's ready to do, and then God spells out at his authority, they will go out, they will come in, he will care for them. Um, And I just, it's a, oh, I I said before we hit the record button, I'm I'm itching to now go read Joshua, Mm -hmm. because this is such a beautiful transition of God has taken care of Moses, he's taken care of the Israelites, and he's going to continue doing that through Joshua. And again, just a different mindset of not just how can I make the biggest splash while I'm here and then I'm gone the next day, but rather how can I do the most work that will be helpful to the next person who is going to be taking over when I'm gone, because I'm going to be gone and it's, it's not going to be long, you know. Uh, anyway, those are some of my rambling thoughts on twenty, the rest of 27. What do y'all have? Um, I think it's really interesting that Moses specifically says, uses the shepherd analogy, um, because Alexander in his sermon this last Sunday reminded me that Moses was a shepherd. Mm-hmm. He knows what sheep are like. He's got tons of experience with sheep just wandering off doing whatever. Um and then we also get this kind of Christ-like image of Jesus being our shepherd and in his final images or images in his final days caring about other people and his followers and all the people in the future and you especially get that like in, at the end of John um, and I think it always just kind of ties back to the ultimate plan and the leaders that God chooses and the really important ones we talked about Moses and David are all pointing to Christ and how that was always the plan. And I think that's really cool how um, just that kind of shows through even in the earliest part of scripture. And then the other kind of thing I thought about was the ceremony itself to uh, appoint Joshua leader. And I think there's kind of a rational purpose to it, which is we don't want another rebellion. Mm -hmm. We need to make it very clear that this is who is in charge. This is who God has picked. This is who Moses is like kind of symbolically transferring his power and authority to. So we don't have any more quarrels and Mm -hmm. no more people get swallowed up by the earth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and on that that note, you know, you've got this transition. The thing that stuck out stuck out to me, and this is verses eighteen through twenty-one, where it is a it again, it is a community event. 
everyone needs to be here. We are all a part of this. Like this is, and, and it's, I think sometimes it's, it's hard to, well, I know for me, it is, it's almost impossible to fathom this number of people that God says we are doing things as a community, as a family. I mean, how many, let me, I lost the number. 000. Six, okay, six, over 600,000 people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I need to look up how many are in Northport. I don't think it's over 600,000 people. Um, but it is so hard to wrap my mind around, I expect you to, like, this is a community. Like, this is a, we are supposed to act like family. I mean, it's a, you know, foreshadowing of what the church ought to be, you know, on a kind of worldwide scene. But I just, that blows my mind. But it goes back to your, um, you're talking about the, the look of a leader of this group of people as a shepherd, mm-hmm. someone who is intimately involved with the people, mm-hmm. even though it's that massive number. But anyway, that that's what stood out to me is he is being very intimate and personal, even though it is this, it, it just blows my mind to think of that many people that it's God's family. Because when I think of God's family, I think small and intimate. And that's the picture he paints of how we interact with one another. It's not like all this pomp and circumstance that we see when when numbers get bigger. Does that make sense? Again, I know I'm super rambly. Sorry. (laughs) Okay, Sherry, anything else on that chapter before we hop to this one? Just the, um, I, I was impressed also with the, the, the ceremony it was like do this before all the people have everybody stand there not just the elders not just the not just the leaders the chiefs of the tribes but we're like everybody so that everybody sees that okay it's not it's not this guy over here it's not Eleazar it's not it's Joshua mm-hmm. and interestingly I don't think of course it's a different scenario because they're going into the into the land and they're going to all be in possession of their own land but there's not a big rebellion against Joshua Um, and I think partly it's because now we're making it clear that this is the guy right Um, uh, and also just the um, just the allusion to um, Um, the shepherd Mm -hmm. Um, Moses I think we don't talk about enough about the fact that Moses was a shepherd Um, when he left Egypt and went to um, and went out uh, into the wilderness uh, of Sinai which is where he lived um, for 40 years that so when he killed the Egyptian he thought he was ready, and he wasn't even close. He wasn't ready because he had been raised in Pharaoh's house. He did not know anything about leading people at all. Yeah. He just knew about growing up in Pharaoh's house. He mm-hmm. knew his history. Um, and he had some good character qualities, but 
he just wasn't there yet. And so God led him out into the wilderness to of Midian to, to show him how to be a shepherd of sheep that were not his. Mm-hmm. Like Moses didn't have a flock of sheep. He shepherded Jethro's flock. Mm-hmm. They were not his sheep. And when he comes back to lead um, his people, they're not his sheep. They're mm-hmm. God's sheep. And But he's had 40 years to learn how to care for a flock of sheep that were not his. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so um, he wants to make sure that the next person that comes along is someone who has those characteristics and is going to be able to actually lead the people, not be, not be a, another pharaoh, not be another tyrant, but actually um, be a shepherd. And, and that's just such a uh, type of Christ. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so 28 and 29, we're going to bundle together uh, for sake of time. But as a, sort of an overview, we are going over different offerings, um, different sacrifices. Um, and 28 is going to go through several different offerings. And I'm just going to kind of um, do a very quick uh, run through of the offerings that are, are walked through in detail in chapter 28. Um, and those are going to be, it starts off with the morning and evening sacrifices, and then um, talks about the Sabbath offerings, and then the uh, monthly offerings after that, and kind of connected with the monthly offerings, uh, purification offerings are mentioned, and I'm assuming that kind of means like as needed, you know, like you've got your monthly, that always happens, and then purification, um, i my understanding of that is um, as that's necessary. Um, and then the Passover festival, the week, the Feast of Weeks, which is when the first fruits would come. Um, and that is, uh, I believe, let me make sure, that's, I believe, where, yeah. Yeah, that's where chapter 28 ends. Now, in chapter 29, we're looking at the details of the seventh month. And within the seventh month, you have a total of 10 holy days that are observed. Um, And you're given the details of how many, um, uh, specifically what offerings are given on each day. Um, And I'll just throw this in real here, real quick here, as sort of a side thing that I just thought was kind of a, a nerdy, interesting thing but I don't know whether or not necessarily connections but um, he goes through on chapter 29 where we're looking at the details of the seventh month and the holy days to be celebrated within that and you start off on the first day offering one bull second day is 12 and then third is 11 the fourth is 10 fifth nine sixth, eighth, and then the seventh, you guessed it, seven bulls. Then you go back to one bull, one bull, and then on the 15th, you have 13 bulls. 
So I just, I mean, again, that's that's more of an observation than a, here's a connection. I just thought that was interesting. Like, okay, whoa, we start off like right after the first day, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, when we get to the seventh day, and then one bull, one bull, 13 bulls at the very last of the holy days. Um, so I'm sure there's a lot more detail that could be brought out on those, but that's just kind of a... Um, hitting the highlights of 28 and 29 on the offerings um, and then the theme that I noticed uh, or a theme I noticed throughout all this is every holy assembly that is mentioned it's specified do not work this is a holy assembly um, so in other words kind of really um, accentuating the um, this is separate and apart don't don't mix this with, you know, your concerns of, of daily activities, I guess. So, anyway, um, from 28 and 29, um, and we'll have to wrap up there and, um, and uh, jump into 30 next time we get together. But 28 and 29, Sherry, would you like to share any of your thoughts? And then Elizabeth will have you close out. Um, just thought that um, it was interesting that uh, I looked at all the, so all of the offerings are pretty identical um, between like the first, the first four, the Sabbath, uh, the daily, uh, the Sabbath, um, the monthly offerings, um, the Passover offering, the Feast of Weeks, those are, um, those are all pretty much the same. Then the next uh, Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, uh, those two are not as many offerings, one bowl, um, and, and the, but then everything else is the same. It seems like the only thing that changes really among those six are the number of bowls. And then um, the Feast of Booths, it's like a lot. It's like you have a you have starting with 13 bowls mm -hmm. and then going down in number 12 11 10 9 8 7 um and then on the eighth day you know it goes back to the original one bowl one ram and seven lambs one goat um so i don't know if it's because it because this is this is and it's sort of how the, because there's, there's seven feasts, and um, including Sabbath, which is every week, but it, it seems like the Feast of Booths at the end is like a major deal. Mm -hmm. And um, I think sometimes we think of some of the other feasts as being more important, quote unquote, mm -hmm. but um, it doesn't seem like that. It seems like like the and I know I realize that it's, it's building throughout the year, and the Feast of Booze is the last one of the year, um, but um, I don't know. It just seems like that the Feast of Booze is a bigger deal than the other ones, mm -hmm. um, and of course you know that's the Feast of Tabernacles, which is they're commemorating their wandering through the wilderness and not having a place to stay. Um, but I think may, uh, even even into the New Testament, there's 
there's some references that kind of make me think that the Feast of Booths was was a bigger deal than some of the other ones. Yeah. And um, so just for what that's worth. Yeah. Um, Elizabeth. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Elizabeth. Um, I guess my kind of general concluding thoughts on this is uh, summary. You mentioned that the people aren't supposed to do any work, or some of them specify no ordinary work on these holiday on these festivals. Mm-hmm. But then you think about the priests; they're doing mm-hmm. more work than normal. <laughs> exactly. And in every one, it says <coughs> you're still going to offer the same daily sacrifice. Some of them say, you know, this coincides with the new moon, so you got to do your normal new moon sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just, I guess, a very consistent reminder of the price of sin and what it takes for the nation of Israel to live with God and have God in their midst. So when we talked about in Leviticus, when we first talked about sacrifices, this is how um, an unholy people kind of marred by sin can live with a holy God. And that has to happen every day for God's presence to continually be with them. And then we see through scriptures, once the sacrifices and the feasts start falling away, that's when God stops being able to be with them because they're not being obedient to him and they're not, you know, doing the things that would allow his presence. And I think this gets emphasized and repeated so much for a reason. It's because this is important and they needed to constantly be atoning for their sins for God to be with them. And if we're talking about this in the context of tying up all our sins, this is important. We want to be doing it right. The whole reason this generation died off is because they complained. They were rebellious. They weren't honoring God. So I think emphasizing how to glorify and honor God and really making him and his commandments special is um, I think a really good way to start kind of tying up the wilderness wandering situation. Excellent point. And I really appreciate you um, bringing out the once the sacrifices and the feasts start to fall away. I mean, because that is the same that we see now um, Mm -hmm. is once we quit purposely putting those reminders before us Mm -hmm. um, on a daily basis, that's when God's presence will leave. Thank you so much. I really appreciate all of your comments and looking forward to the next time we get together and discuss more of God's word. Thanks.